We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 208. Okay, my guest today is so cool. He is a professional trainer. He has a program with Jeff Teal based in Wellington, Florida, where he works with some of the top in our industry and works with their children and new and -and up-and-coming talent and really helps them from the ground up. He trained and currently trains riders like Harper Conway, Lily Ward, Sid Shulman, Sean Cassidy, L. Boyd, Gwyneth Babington, J.J. Toronto, and lots more. He is also a huge conservationist. He loves animals and loves to collect threatened and endangered species. He started his own foundation, the Moorcroft Conservation Foundation, which is a nonprofit, and all of the money raised goes back to different organizations. They live by the mission Introduce, Inspire, and Support. They really try to offer hands-on experience for children and adults to interact with the personal collection of endangered animals. How cool is that? So let's hear from him. Please welcome our guest today, Charlie Moorcroft. I would love to hear about how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian world. I grew up in Glastonbury, Connecticut, and there were a lot of horses around. And back then, that was a long time ago, most people had yards and barns in their backyard. And you could go, uh, not very far, I would ride my bike to the barn and stumble upon horses, ponies, some livestock, apple orchards. We were lucky uh, that Glastonbury had a pony club and they had a cross country course. So when I started riding and kind of volunteering at a local barn, cleaning stalls and riding kind of whatever animals were available, we would sneak out into the cross country course and do things that now I would probably kill my students if they did. Right. (laughs) But as a kid, we didn't really know any different. And we rode a lot. We swam the horses. We jumped things we probably shouldn't have. And um, it really was just a, a super time in my life where I could just get away from everything. I'm one of six kids and we didn't have the financial means for me to show a lot and have my own animals. So I rode whatever I could and worked as hard as I could. And one of the interesting things uh, in, in my past was I started kind of, I guess, bossing the other kids around and started kind of teaching them, or at least giving feedback, probably unsolicited. And that just turned into a little bit of a teaching style. And um, I still do that to this day. But I I come from a line of teachers. I was raised to give back and to teach. My mother was a teacher. And that was really important to her that we gave back and we involved ourselves in helping others and, you know, just being invested in a sense of community. So kind of uh, was a natural fit to become a trainer. Definitely. Was there like a specific turning point in your riding that you felt like, oh man, like I think I want to do this for the rest of my life? No, I still wonder what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) Um, I never intended to become a trainer. I I love the animals. I still do to this day. Um, I've raised all sorts of creatures and critters from rabbits to chickens to sheep, you know, I've bred 
a ton of ponies, some successful, some were giveaways, but uh, I, I kept trying other activities, other careers, and I, I would do okay with them, but I always returned to the horses and the community. So I kind of just naturally gave up one day and trying to be something else and just accepted the fact that I probably was a trainer. Yeah. When, what does your program look like today? Yikes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's unique. You know, I'm, I, I guess I'm not very smart because I do what no one else wants to. Um, but we, we probably have 40 to 45 animals right now in Wellington. And uh, we teach all sorts of walks of life. Lots of kids starting, believe it or not, two years old. And I think our oldest rider might be in her 70s and everything in between. Wow. So it's, it's a real, uh, it's a teaching barn. I love to show. We live in Wellington. I'm a mile away from the horse show or less. Uh, and of course, when we go there, I want to win every class we go in. But really, we're a teaching facility and we're fortunate enough to uh, be called upon by a lot of trainers and you know some pretty well-known people in the world and we are required to keep their kids safe and keep them interested and make it fun and you know get them confident and with some skills so that that's kind of what we do nice uh to describe it i've heard your mission is introduce inspire and support can you tell me a little bit about what what that means to you I mean, I, I guess my philosophy is to introduce uh, humans to animals, to conservation, to I would love to inspire kids to be confident and give back and, and try riding and try taking care of our planet. And so I guess my philosophy in teaching is very choose to base out of Palm Beach Equine Sports Complex, which actually was an old polo barn. There's a million stalls and there's this 15 acre man-made lake with the track around it. And we like to get out of the ring and ride out as much as possible. Obviously, if we're working on showing our courses or something technical, we'll stay in the ring. But oftentimes before or after, we'll head out and go around town or go on a bridle path. But the, the track around the lake offers a huge chance to learn about nature, introduce species, um, intentional or non-intentionally, non-native wildlife, native wildlife. And, and the kids are young enough that it's really interesting to them. So I guess that's uh, how it all kind of started uh, in this town, kind of branching out to starting a foundation and having a collection of endangered animals and opening up our home, or at least a portion of it, to people that would like to come over and visit and meet some weird animals and hear yeah. kind of the story we've created. What was the first type? Because I, I know you have like a, a whole collection of threatened and endangered species. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. And what was kind of the first type of animal that you took on? Well, when I first moved to Florida, I was obviously impressed with winter weather and that houseplants grew outside and the animals required a different type of protection from weather. It was more from sun, more from rain. And growing up up north, everything came in for the winter, everything froze, everything was just a little more miserable. So here I could raise birds, plants, anything. Uh, I started with birds and went probably a little overboard and had a couple hundred different species of finches and wow. um, small hook pills. And then we stumbled upon Hurricane Irma. I think that was 2017. <clears throat> and 
we evacuated 30 something horses plus my animal collection or what we could. And I'd started to get into raising some turtles and tortoises and I drive a Mini Cooper. So the turtles and tortoises that I could fit went with and the birds went in the horse trailer. <laughs> and it just made sense when we returned home. Uh, luckily, there wasn't a lot of damage, but you know, it was just time for me to really refocus and say, let's uh, streamline the birds. They weren't really protected or endangered. The turtles and tortoises were. And I just started networking with some organizations and some friends. And that just went fast forward at a rate that I had to kind of tap the brakes a few times. So here, here we are now. Wow. I know in, in 2020, you founded the Moorcroft Conservation Foundation. Tell me a little bit about where you were at with what you wanted to do, especially, I mean, with riding, but also with conservation at that point in time in November 2020. I'd, I'd like to back up just a little bit. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but I'd say 15 years ago, I'm guessing. I was involved with the USHGA Foundation, and that's something that we were really, really proud of. And we did such amazing work helping horsemen in need, helping educate, helping give opportunity to people in need. And then over time, that really changed and morphed into something that most of us, actually 11 of us on the board, were no longer able to support. You know, the national organization gained a new president. And a lot of new board members, and they just took it in a direction that we weren't willing to go. So that really left a hole in in what I do and what felt right for me. So with that in mind, I just decided to raise money and give it away. And the money we raise goes out the door. It does not support the collection that I have. Luckily, I have a decent job. I have a partner with a decent job. Mm. He actually works for me. Um, I guess I that works. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, you know, I, I remember going to dinner with my friend Luis Sirio and with Jeff Teal, my partner. And I, at that point, wanted to buy this cool place called Lion Country Safari. I was going to quit being a trainer because I really questioned how much of a difference at the end of the day I really made. So I decided I'm going to walk away, hang up my trainer hat, and I'm going to buy Lion Country Safari. And I actually did some serious homework and got deep enough into it to realize that that wasn't going to be feasible. And there was the direction it was headed was not the direction I would want it to go. And it was not, you know, that that's full steam ahead. And there was no way to derail it by adding more education or opportunity. It's a, it's a, you know, amusement park for profit and it runs really well. So anyway, we, we walked away from that and I just, the more cup conservation foundation with Louise, with Jeff and uh, with my friend, Holly Caristo, who grew up, you know, with their arms in water, catching crayfish and turtles and checking out swamps. And it was just kind of a natural fit. So we started something very small and we've raised a decent amount of money, which we have given away to all different uh, types of organizations that deal with rehabilitation, education, conservation, some sanctuary type work, which we think is important, some horse related And we really tried to diversify into as many species as we could. 
So cool. I love that. How do you manage? I mean, just time wise, how do you have time for both? I, I know being a trainer also and having my hands in some other things as well, it's uh, definitely challenging to be able to have enough hours in the day to get it all done. How do you balance it? And um, how do you manage to combine and, and marry these two jobs and passions uh, into your everyday life? We, we have an amazing team at work. We have a huge support. We have a great woman that helps us. <clears throat> Jeff teaches mostly in the morning with the adults. I have pretty much stopped riding and I stay home in the mornings while most of the kids are in school and handle you know, the collection at home and some foundation work. And uh, then I head in after school to mostly teach and we rely on others to do the riding and the management and entries and all that stuff. But as you know, living year-round, um, I'm ridiculously spoiled because there's 52 weeks in a year and there's probably 40 shows a year. Mm -hmm. So we really can wake up, get to the horse show. We don't even get horse show stalls. We just trailer over, hack over, lead over, Uber over. There's trailers running all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ponies stay on their own stalls. They get turned out afterwards. You know, I used to kill myself to get to Dev and get to indoors um, and certainly pony finals, which this year was the first time I skipped pony finals in, I think, 20 years. So, wow. you know, my life is changing and the sport is changing and I'm totally okay with taking a step back and doing more of the entry level stuff and making uh, a difference that way. You know, I love what the sport does for the kids learning. I love the confidence they get. We're pretty strict. I'm, I'm probably not very woke. I'm probably too old fashioned for most, but we have rules. You know, the kids wear belts, they wear a collared shirt. They say yes, not yeah. They're respectful to their parents. And I love how they evolve as humans through the riding and what controlling horses or ponies does for them as individuals. So that's kind of my philosophy. I know that's a long question. I warned you, I talked a lot. So. <laughs> How do I manage it? I, I have to teach people I really like. I have to have animals in the barn that I love. And, you know, if, if the animal doesn't work, it's gone. I can't sell it. I can't sell. I could barely sell the ponies and horses I love. Never mind the ones that don't work for me. They just have to leave. And the kids too. A lot of kids outgrow our program, which is great when they either want to change trainers. They either outgrow us. They want more pressure. They all of a sudden want to go in every class at indoors and have a string of animals, you know, that's just not for me anymore. That's out. You know, people move. There's so many reasons for kids grow up and move on. Mm -hmm. And luckily the phone literally keeps ringing and texting and word of mouth. And uh, so we, we take on what we can balance, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think also kind of like what you were talking about with the idea of not every situation is, you know, what you do anymore. And I think that that is extremely healthy for you as a person and your business to really narrow in on your ideal client and who you want to work with right now. And then it stays like super focused. And, th and then that's probably why you continue to get so much business as people know exactly what level they should be to work with you or, you know, what they're getting into. It, it, it's hard. I think people a little bit type A. And I know for me, it took a while to just really sit at the gate 
and be there for the student and not have their performance be a reflection of my success. Mm -hmm. And that took a long, long time because we get caught up in results or how many kids I have in each class and who is champion and who's spending more money on their animals, all that stuff, which I didn't really always like who I was at the end of the day. And this year, for instance, you know, we might have 17 or 18 animals showing and I don't have a single pony hunter. And, and I'm okay with that right now. We've got, you know, walk trot, you know, there's a cross rail division here, short stirrup children's ponies, some older kids, but, you know, and the management laughs at me and they say, okay, well, where are your pony hunters? That's like what you're famous for. I'm like, no, I, I'm not. I'm, first of all, I'm not famous. And second of all, I just like to teach. And if this is what we have, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that took a lot of time and, and probably maturing. I'm 55 and I'm pretty pretty set in my ways and pretty stable, but that, that takes a lot of confidence. The other thing about South Florida, which is unique, um, having lived in a lot of other states over many years, uh, we're not that competitive. You know, I teach a lot of trainers, children, and I say, if your friend rides at another barn, go hang out, you know, go to dinner, go just be a team. We do bake sales for Ron and Danny's rescue. We, you know, I, for several years until COVID hit, there was this fright nights and I would take kids from all over the barns, uh, all over the town, different barns and, and obviously parents or chaperones or whatever, but we might take 30 something kids and do fright nights. And it was what, you know, that's what Charlie did with the Wellington kids. And, and nobody was worried about anyone stealing and telling them something or, you know, trash talking. We all just kind of get along and respect each other. We're all, you know, here and successful and, and good enough at what we do. Before we get in a word from our sponsor, I want to talk about them for a little bit because I have worked with and worn Tucker Tweed equestrian products for a while now and I love them. The quality leather is amazing and I'm always wearing their Wellington wristlet and their backpack. The products are stunning. If you are familiar with Tucker Tweed Equestrian, then you most likely know and have seen how often they promote their retail partners. With the cancellation of a number of nationwide horse shows, many retail partners are missing out on key opportunities to see and service their clients. So to support their partner tax stores, Tucker Tweed is encouraging you to shop tax store websites during those Miss Horse Show dates or purchase through Tucker Tweed directly, but then make sure to tag the respective tax stores in the order notes. This way we can all support tax stores and each tax store receives credit for any purchases made. Thank you so much for that reminder, Jill Tweedy, founder of Tucker Tweed. You are amazing, Jill. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Okay, let's get back to the episode. What are some of the, I mean, you alluded to the idea of the industry obviously changing over the years that you've been a part of it and your roles have ebbed and flowed or looked differently over the years. What are some of those changes that you've especially noticed being a part of the industry for decades now? I think I'm funnier than I am. You'll learn that. I would like to say the sports become engrossed, but I won't. So that would be impolite. <laughs> um, you know, it's becoming too expensive. It's becoming too elitist. It's becoming too, you know, these big horse shows, which I'm attached to and affiliated with and, you know, make my living off of. But it's, uh, it's changing. You know, I remember living in Connecticut, freezing lots of my body parts off, 
driving my own two horse trailer, which I probably needed a tetanus shot to drive <laughs> and <clears throat> arriving with my students and getting on the ponies and, you know, and, and, and showing at different farms, a little bit backyardy maybe at times. Um, but it, it taught you something different. You know, each facility was different. The animals responded differently. The rings were set up differently. Management was different. For me today, right now, that's all gone. I deal with equestrian sport production. Occasionally, we would drive over to Venice. I haven't even been to World Equestrian Center, and that's only a few hours away, yeah. which is embarrassing. But I, I don't need to leave my own yard. And that's very different. And, you know, it's, all, it, it's a curse also because, and everything's online and available. So a parent may call me up and say, I looked at children's ponies and there's only four in it. You know, we've got a birthday party and a soccer game and we're going to go to the beach. We're not going to show. But if you were, for instance, to say, okay, well, let's go to Lake Placid. We're there for two weeks. You're, you're going to show. So it's, it's definitely different now than it was. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you say is an area of the industry that you're really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? That's a hard thing to say, political suicide. Um, <clears throat> I grew up reading Practical Horsemen and the stories about the journey of the horse and the, the, the love of the animal and the competition. You know, now, it might be just a bit of a rat race. I know I, I can only pick on here and certainly during WEF because that's my life. But, you know, there are 12 plus one horse show rings going, you know, five days a week, a lot of hours in the day. You know, my golf cart, I can blow through a golf cart in three years just from trying to survive it. And that's, that's very different. You know, the way our barn is now, we, it's full care. It's designed that way to be safe and to be efficient, but um, the kids miss out a lot in tacking up their own animals, cooling them out, learning about horsemanship. Uh, we've tried to implement some days in the summer where kids learn about clipping or you know bandaging bridle parts. Definitely, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and it's something that is is definitely different than it was a while ago even you know when i was growing up and there there weren't really you know programs that are a lot of programs that had you know every horse in full care and when we were growing up you you wrapped your horse you groomed your horse you cleaned all your tack you did all of that and so I, I think for some in some situations, the lack of that knowledge doesn't necessarily mean the rider doesn't love the horse or have, you know, like the the passion towards the animal. But I think it also kind of takes away from I know for me in my experience, one of my favorite parts of riding growing up was just that quality time spent with the horse. And so, yeah, it's definitely a, an interesting concept uh, and what that looks like today and how different it is than, than before. People laugh, you know, when we tell them back in the olden days or whatever, but I, I would also ride my bike to the barn and it was a destination and I spent the day there and I rode whatever I could and I groomed whatever I could and I fed whatever I could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we scrubbed buckets and, you know, did all sorts of maintenance and manage of the stable, not just, you know, unload tons of hay and paint fence and pick rocks and stuff like that. And now 
our sport, and again, I can only pick on this area, it's become an activity. And oftentimes, you know, I granted I teach a certain clientele. Um, I'm in an expensive town and I can't help that. I can't apologize for it. It's just the way it is for me right here. But, you know, there's a lot of scheduling challenges and a lot of carpooling and a lot of tutoring and soccer mm-hmm. and dance and, you know, logistically can be a bit of a nightmare. No one's staying in the barn. And, you know, and I'm going to, another bad topic is safe sport. You know, uh, I'm obviously all for everyone feeling safe and nobody ever, ever, ever being harmed. <clears throat> and with that said, I know, you know, my trainer put me in the car, drove me to New York City, and I got to watch the Libzons. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have ever happened. And I went to the International Jumping Derby in Newport, Rhode Island, because my trainer said, okay, this is what we're doing today. You can make it work. And I, like I said, I still take kids to the Florida fair, but we, we do it differently. You know, we take groups of adults and, and family members and, and, you know, there's really nothing wrong with that. It just, it just can make it a little more clumsy yeah. and some of the opportunities, especially if you're traveling are taken away or having to be altered uh, to fit in with the whole kind of new safe sport vibe, which again, I, I am, I'm a proponent of safety and safe sport as a, as a theory. So I don't want to think I'm anti that, but yeah. I think it does you know, change. It, it can also negatively impact a lot of experience uh, that families can't give their kids. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point for sure. Where do you see your desire to kind of like grow and raise, raise awareness for conservation and what you do with MCF going forward in the next few years? That's interesting. Uh, Part of me likes that it's very small and manageable. Uh, Part of me would actually like a facility. You know, people, you know, I bump into people at the show all the time and they say, I want to come see your conservatory or your your, see your foundation. Well, you know, it's a very small collection in in my yard. We converted a two-car garage to basically a man cave. And I have some outdoor enclosures with cool animals in them. But it really is just a a collection of unique stuff that lives here with me. So we, we've talked about getting a building or getting five acres, 10 acres, and making a true a facility or supporting other facilities like uh, my friend, Mark McCarthy, who does a lot of rehabilitation work and a lot of education, a lot. He has a sanctuary for some big cats and also, you know, screech owls and things that people call me up all the time. I found it. This turtle. It was in the side of the road. I have a screech owl that jumps out of a nest. I have, you know, a squirrel that needs to be rebuilt. So we we do a lot of support and referrals, and we also do some funding for those organizations. Uh, so so part of me likes that it's small and manageable, and maybe I could travel again someday. And part of me wants to, you know, get people on a board and get an actual, you know, brick and mortar building and and have it be a destination. So I'm not really sure we we kind of struggle and, uh, you know, Jeff and I have gone and looked at different properties and we always seem to kind of talk ourselves out of it and, and decide that the balance we have right now is working. Yeah, definitely. That's not, I mean, I would love to also see it sometime. Do you have certain like hours or by appointment that people come take a look at what you have? Yeah, it's it's definitely by appointment. and doesn't always work with the horse show and with my life. Monday is my day off. And sometimes there's honestly not much left of me on a Monday. 
And the last thing I want to do is try and be upbeat and passionate and friendly. Other times I can't wait. Tomorrow, actually, uh, I'm having, believe it or not, 18 students from Ethel Walker School in Simsbury, Connecticut over with parents and their trainer, my friend Linda Langmeyer, just to kind of talk about what we do and look at animals, uh, just as obviously being a crazy horse trainer who's gone a whole different direction. Uh, so that that's going to be fun. Yeah. But um, again, you know, it, it's we're not a public facility. We're not zoned or like it's not a business. You know, it is a collection of animals that I own personally and a foundation that raises money uh, to give back to charities and promote education. You know, the there's the Phelps Media Company um, who's done an amazing job helping me, the staff to McCarthy's Wildlife Sanctuary, and got some photos and just experienced that. And, you know, that's one way of just giving back. And I paid for that myself. The foundation didn't. And just wanted to say thank you for doing such a great job. And so there's ways to do it without relying on just this collection. Yeah, definitely. For people looking in or, you know, interested or going to be in the area or are showing this season and would be interested in learning more about your nonprofit, how can they get more information? There's a few friends have come out and done YouTube videos which I would think would be the best introduction to it. And uh, for sure, you know, I'll I'll never say no unless I can't. If someone wants to come meet the animals, look around, for sure, please come. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and work it out. But again, it's not a business, you know, there's no hours of operation. It's really just, you know, slipping people over and having them Mm -hmm. take a look around. It's not even an official tour. So it's, uh, you know, I'm going to pick on McCarthy's because they're so much better than me. But you go to McCarthy's and it's an amazing tour and you all start and you all and every area is a checkpoint and you just learn. Um, And I've tried to become a little more like that, but, you know, we've got to be flexible. And, um, you know, we fight weather here, as you know, uh, mostly in the off season, you know, Mm -hmm. rain, storms um, and interest level. So um, it's just small, you know, quiet groups that just come and take photos and meet the animals. The one thing I like people go to touch them. Um, you can hold turtles, you can hold tortoises, you can, I have some skunks that were rescued from some facilities in the Orlando area. I'm not supposed to say <clears throat> that when COVID came, they were no longer needed. Mm. Uh, so they were, it was interesting. They were former pets that were surrendered and some of those attractions up there kind of repurposed these cool rescue skunks into performers. And um, then they just were, you know, kind of extras. So they were going to be put down probably. And so I said, all right, I'll take the the cool skunks. So they come out and hang out with you. And, um, you know, it's just kind of different and interesting to uh, go in and touch animals. You know, I have Patagonian Maras that you see in the zoos and a lot of collections, they're fairly common, but because they're not the megafauna, they're not the lions and elephants and giraffes, mm-hmm. people kind of overlook them and they're more in the background here. You know, people go right in and take some lettuce, you know, you can feed them, you can pet them and interact. People ask me if they're a rabbit cross with the deer. And I'm like, well, no, we don't really have a lab <laughs> over hybridizing, you know, but we'll look at <laughs> But yeah. uh, the people that came into the YouTube videos are actual turtle and tortoise and reptile people. So the way they did the videos was really informative and educational. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you get a lot of it, out of it that way. 
Wow. That is so cool. Well, I applaud you for what you're doing both within the equestrian industry and beyond. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and I wish you all the best. Cool. I appreciate this so much. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.